Fantastic. Okay, so we've got, uh, we've got a text message here. Mm-hmm. It's a long one. Oh, okay. I'm going to agree with some of it. I'm going to disagree with some of it, but that's okay. That's what it's uh-huh. all about. Okay, so I'm going, to, I'm going to agree with this first part here. This is, this is really interesting history. Uh, it's about Afghanistan. Afghanistan is part of the Golden Triangle for opium production. Uh, since invasion, production since invasion production has increased tremendously. Oh. Okay, so, well, I'm not sure that it's part of the Golden Triangle. That's more Burma. Mm. But it's definitely part of opium production. And what's interesting, and this might be a positive, so let's let's think about this situation in Afghanistan for a moment from a glass half full rather than half empty perspective. Mm. Back in the year 2000, the Taliban who were in power banned opium production in Afghanistan. Yeah. As a result of that, uh, they went from producing 70% of the world's opium, which, of course, uh, this is illegally produced opium that gets turned into heroin. Uh, They went to producing 70% of the world's opium. That production was cut by 94% in just one year, and it went down to just 74 tonnes. Oh, wow. Coming out of Afghanistan. As a- so we can, we can criticise the Taliban for a lot of things, and rightfully so, but this one, they got this one right. This is the only thing, that the only good thing they've ever done, ever. I don't know. Maybe they did something else good. I don't know. I've just never heard of it. But this one's a big one. <laughs> it's actually big. That's actually big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a good thing. Yeah, and it has a global effect as well. Oh, massive. You, you, you take out 70% of the world's uh, opium production. Mm. That's, that's huge. Okay, so then we move on uh, to, that was in the year 2000. We move on now to 2002. The United States has taken over. And in 2002, production went up to, in that year, 740 square kilometres of opium production. Oh. That doubled in 2003. And then that doubled again in 2004. Uh, You're now up to 206,000 acres. That doubled again by the year 2006, up to 407,000 acres, and that's 82% of the... Uh, world's production of illegal opium, um, and at that stage they were su- they were supplying three point five billion dollars worth of opium out of Afghanistan. Ah, uh, okay, so <laughs> yeah, this pretty full on stuff. So, okay, so what what then is the? I don't know if this person in this text message just speculates on the answer, but like, is that because of the Americans or? Well, it's interesting that the Taliban had already banned it, and all the Americans had to do was to maintain the ban. Mm. It's all they had, which they did not do. Now, the Americans also had the ability to be able to crop dust the opium fields with herbicide. Yeah, that's right. Problem solved. I mean, they've got the technology right there. Just go for it. Now, of course, there was a danger with that, with what the Taliban did, uh, in that you've put a lot of people out of business and put them into a starvation system. Mm. Uh, this was one of the things that the Americans were trying to balance was like, how do we stop all these people from starving? But the simple reality is that this is one of the most, the least urbanised countries in the world. Mm. You've only got 24% of the population that lives in a urban environment and the rest of the country knows how to live as subsistence farmers. Yeah, that's right. And as a result of knowing how to live as subsistence farmers and having the resources to be able to do so, they are in a much better off better better off position to actually 
withstand starvation than, you know, your average country like Australia, which is, what, 84 86% urbanised. Yeah. You know, if we all had to go to subsistence farming tomorrow, most of us would starve to death. I would move to your house. My house doesn't have a lot of ground. I used to have plenty of ground, but yeah, I could, I could, I could. I would move to someone's. I actually, I have, I have a number of friends. Man, thank yes. God for church people. They oh, love absolutely. gardening. That's right. Absolutely. I'm like, I, there is a number of people I'm going to be on the phone to because I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> my, my dad bought tomato plants and he's trying to grow them at the moment. Maybe I should go and use that as my proving ground, as my training, and then I can eat tomatoes during the. During the apocalypse. But anyway. it is interesting. It is very fascinating that the Americans had the ability to stop this. Mm. And they did nothing. Yeah, well. So that raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? You know, it gets my conspiracy juices going. I can tell you, it was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Because you have to ask yourself the question, what was the real, what was the real motivation for going into Afghanistan? Mm. You know, as the text message goes on, you know, we're still looking for the weapons of... Mass destruction oh, in Iraq. In Iraq. In <laughs> and these were the two big wars. These were the two big wars, Afghanistan and Iraq. That's where we went. Yeah. And we went to Afghanistan to get Osama bin Laden, who was in Pakistan. Yeah. And we went to Iraq to get weapons of mass destruction, who, weapons of mass destru- destruction who were in Narnia. <laughs> in Aslan's castle. Yes. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not Aslan's castle. Maybe the witches. <laughs> the wicked. The white witch. <laughs> whoever she was. Um, you know. And so it sort of it does raise a whole bunch of questions. I got to tell you. To me, looking back on it, and even at the time, it was warmongering and vote gathering. This is the thing: is that there needs to be a return on investment with anything that they're doing. Like I just see that. In, in this era, in, you know, in a post-Soviet era, it's like, okay, what is the purpose of establishing democracy in these countries? And well, in Iraq, we've kind of it's it, we've we've gotten to the point where we understand that it's because they had oil, and now with Afghanistan, you know, I feel like there's still some speculation, but there has to be something where they're getting a return on their investment, and whether it's opium or whatever it may be, you know, this doesn't negate the the lives that were lost, which is so, which is I think the tragedy of it. Like, you know, we sit here and speculate, oh, was it just some cash grab, some vote grab, some warmongering, you know? Because like f- for myself, I I know people from my church. Who, well, from from a church that I was going to, have been have done tours of Afghanistan. Um, yes. Some of my dad's family friends have gone to Afghanistan, and possibly f- in Afghanistan right now. Yeah, and deployed yesterday to an unknown destination. That's right, and that have lost their like, seen their friends lose life. Like I, I don't know anyone personally who has lost lost their life in Afghanistan, but people who have gone to Afghanistan and experienced the terrible effects of Afghanistan. You know, uh, one of my dad's family friends is, is, you know, deeply struggling with PTSD as a result of being, uh, you know, in Afghanistan. Yes. And and it's like, you know, and, and everything that comes along with that. And it's like, oh, is he to blame, you know, for this situation? It's like, no, man, these people need support, if anything else. Um, because I, I really believe that no matter what the cause was that they walked out there for, like to go through that, to survive that, I, I see them as heroes. Oh, absolutely. Unquestionably. This is the thing. This is the thing. I support our servicemen and women. Mm. I don't support our warmongering governments. That's right. It's the people who are sending them there that we need to to look at, you know. And 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 it's it's important not to create another Vietnam situation within the, our society where we have 
Well, yeah, no, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Sorry, yeah, like was... amongst Afghanistani, like Afghanistan, not Afghanistan, but Afghanistan vets. Yes. Who come back that no, yes. that they're, they're not monsters. They were just people. That's right. They were called to the line of duty. You know. Yes. So, important. It's stuff. the politicians who like these fires. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Anyway, it is a long, long text message here. Let me see. It continues on here. Um, the bigger picture has nothing to do with the safety of the people, even though the excuse will always be used to go to war. We still haven't found the weapons of mass destruction we went to war for. Everything you mentioned I agree with. I agree with everything up until this point. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to partially... I'm going I'm, I'm to raise question marks. Put uh-huh. it that way. If you think about it, any country without freedom of speech, movement or religion is actually a country governed by terrorism under the name of democracy. I would say that's going too far. Mm. I get the idea. I get the principle. Uh, and I think that we are definitely heading that direction. But I would not say that we are there yet because you and I are sitting here in this studio mm. and we are having our say here in this studio. Do we have restrictions on religious liberty? Do we have precedent that has been set, particularly in Victoria, that outlaws religious liberty? Mm. No question about that. Mm. The, re- the, the legal framework is there. But you and I are still sitting here in the studio sharing our opinion, sharing our freedom of speech, uh, and sharing our and sharing Jesus Christ in, in in a free way. And that's the thing, you know, at the moment as well, and even in Victoria, they're not being met with radicalized violence, you know, for yet committing yet yeah for committing right. these crimes. And so it's like, yeah, we we have to wait until that point until we can actually. That's right. Experience I wouldn't. That I wouldn't call. I wouldn't call it terrorism yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, does the Bible say that it will come? Absolutely. That's what the Bible says. Um, that's what we should expect. Uh, anyway, it continues on here. Well, this goes forever. Okay. Uh, what the Taliban are doing and will do to Afghanistan is actually what the New World Order is doing with the world, to the world with lockdowns under the name of an excuse of health. And I wouldn't go that far either mm. because you can look at COVID from a number of different perspectives. And to be honest, Irish, I, it's one of those areas I don't know. Mm. Uh, it's it's certainly not a disease that I'm afraid of. You know, looking at the research that's out there, why would I be afraid of it? I live a healthy lifestyle, and I'm not in a in a vulnerable bracket of people. And I know I have a I know so many people who've had COVID, but at the same time, there is a principle there. Let's say that it wasn't COVID, and let's say that it was Spanish flu, which would put me at risk because I do have a strong immune system. Mm. There is a time and a place for lockdowns, and lockdowns are biblical. Mm. That's that's an absolutely biblical principle. Should they be being exercised in the way they are now? That's a different question, okay, that I'm not going to get into here because I don't know. Mm. Uh, but lockdowns are def- you know, lockdowns for disease control, that's a biblical principle, mm. and, and we need to remember that. Um, are we overreacting or underreacting? History will be our judge. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm not one for defending the New South Wales government in, in any sense. Um, not that I'm anti-government, but but look, and this isn't even a defense of the New South Wales government, but some people want to make the point, particularly with our most recent lockdowns, that there's some kind of sinister plot behind that and, and whatnot. You know, what it looks like to me is absolute mismanagement of the COVID crisis and, and incompetence over anything else. And, I, you know, I'll say that. Love, the whole the whole management of 
what is taking place with the COVID crisis is, let's be honest, about votes. Yeah. Well, it's about votes. Mm, even, it's about votes. You reckon? Whether you're in Victoria or New South Wales, it is about votes. Or Queensland. Mm-hmm. Or Western Australia, you know. It's about votes. It's what it comes down to. Mm, I, I, I'll, I'll agree to disagree with you, Lyle, because I, I see where you're coming from and I know that lots of things are about votes, but also I just I just see incompetence. I, I don't know. Why, what, like, how is the government doing themselves any favours in the current lockdown? Like, no, no one is on their side. Well, there are people on their side, and there are, like, there are lots of people that agree that a lockdown was needed, but I feel like the way that it's been rolled out, you know... You've either got to go... I'm, and there's some things that I'm learning with it. You know, you've either got to go all in or all out, one of the two. Yeah. Halfway measures are the worst. And that's... We are literally, you know, the reason we're in lockdown at the moment is because of halfway measures. The reason that we're not vaccinated at the moment is because of halfway measures. You know, I have to, as much as I dislike it, uh, halfway measures, I have to agree that halfway measures either direction, you've, you've got to go one way or the other. Yeah, 100%. And halfway measures hurt more than anything else. And the reason that we have those is because of votes and the reason they... You know, <laughs> okay. it's, it's all about votes. It's just all about votes. Anyway, where are we up to? Let's get into our Bible study. That's We've right. talked way too much about this one. Uh, we need to get to our Bible study. And we need to go to... Where are we going to? The book of Matthew, I think we were. We were in Mark. Mark, yeah. Chapter 2. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 5. So just a, a pick up from yesterday. What we were talking about yesterday was the paralytic. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about whether it was his sin that had caused his sickness, whether God had punished him for his sin by making him sick, or whether his sin had come from natural causes. Mm. And... What we came to was that the evidence, very, very, particularly in the verses we are about to read now, is that his sin was a cause of his sickness. Okay. Now, whether this was God supernaturally stepping in, and we looked at some testimony yesterday of people who, are, you know, are evidence of somebody where God has supernaturally stepped in and they are sick, and that has brought them to God. Mm. And God will do what he can to save us. And if that means slowing us down through a disability, then sometimes God will do that. Uh, so we've, we've, we've looked at that kind of a concept. And so we can't just rule that out unilaterally, but it's not something that we can apply unilaterally either. We can't just say, you're sick because of sin and God is punishing you. No, it's not that God is punishing you, it's God that is reaching out to you. And we can't just say, you're sick because of sin and God has stepped in and made you sick because you sinned because, well, that might have nothing to do with God. It might have everything to do with living in a world where sickness exists. Yeah, that's right. Now, is sickness... Is sickness and sin related to each other? Yes, and the reason is because of guilt, and guilt is bad for the body. Mm. And so whether your sin, whether your sickness is a result of guilt or is exacerbated by guilt, sin is always going to make sickness so much worse. Mm. But a lot of the time we get sick just because we get sick. Yeah, that's right. We're human beings. We are frail, weak, broken Human beings. However, in this man's case, sin had a major part to play in why he was sick. Yeah. Let's read the verses. Uh, Verses uh, 5. Start in verse 5 for us. The Bible says, Seeing their, their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. 
Then it continues on in verse 6. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. All right, so where does Jesus start? Um, he starts by forgiving sins. He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. So, so here's what happens. This paralyzed man gets lowered down through the roof in front of Jesus, and he's standing there with the power to heal him, and he has been lowered down for the purpose of being healed. Mm. And Jesus doesn't even heal him. Yeah, wow. Jesus just says, your sins are forgiven. Mm. Now, why does Jesus do that? Well, there's two reasons why Jesus does that. But the first reason is, primarily, this is the primary thing this man needed. Yeah. Because what you don't find in the passage is the man saying, thank you for healing my sins, but can you please heal me of my paralysis? Mm. The guy doesn't say that. He's satisfied. Yeah. His sins have been forgiven. That's all he needs. He is satisfied. He is happy with that. He has received forgiveness. That's enough. And I've got to tell you, that shows the power, that illustrates right there the power of forgiveness and how transformative forgiveness can be in our lives when we are struggling with guilt. Mm. And I know that so many of us and you today as a listener might be struggling with guilt today over a, a multitude of different things that you have done. Who know? I, I don't know. But I know that as a listener, you have guilt. Mm. We all have guilt. And guilt will destroy us. It will debilitate us. It will drag us down. It will, you know, just eat away at our soul. And Jesus comes to us as he came to this guy right here. And he's like, I can I can take away this I can take away the guilt. This is your biggest problem right here. Let me start here. This is the biggest problem. Let me deal with the sin problem. Let me get rid of the sin out of your life. Once the sin is out of your life, your physical maladies are mild compared to that. Yeah, that's right. That's what Jesus came to do. You know, when it when it says he came to set the captives free, you know, it's not captives of ailments. Because yeah, ailments are just the natural order of life, like sickness is. But, dude, it's the only thing that Jesus can do um, that no one else can do is forgive us for our sins. That's right. And it's permanent. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Um, back to our Bible study. Yes. Book of Mark. It says here, not everyone who says... Um, you know this. Come yeah, on, you I know do. This. Okay, you know yeah. This. You know this. Anyway, that's the last clue. Uh, all right, back to our Bible study. Let's go to Mark chapter 5. And we were talking about the power of forgiveness and how that forgiveness is available to every single one. If you're listening today and you are struggling with guilt, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you can experience that mm. today. You can experience it today. Mm -hmm. That's the cleansing and forgiveness of the... You know, basically, people try and deal with guilt in one of two ways in our world. Maybe maybe I'll put it one of three ways. Oh, by the way, I know the answer to the, yeah, to the quiz. Yeah. I just saw that smile come <laughs> on your face. All right, but okay. one of three ways. One of three ways. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm wrong on this, send me a text message and tell me. Here's how they would try and deal with guilt. They deal with guilt through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the grace that comes to us from God mm -hmm. through the sacrifice of his son. That's the true way of dealing with guilt. 
Others deal with the guilt of sin by denying the existence of sin. That's right. Now, the problem is that every single one of us is born with a moral compass. Mm. We're all born with a conscience. And you can deny, 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 deny. But the harder you try and deny, and the more you double down to deny the existence of sin, the worse you make it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit like, um, you know, and, and, and we've used this illustration before, I want you, Lawson, for the next 10 seconds to not think about elephants. You know, deny the existence of elephants for 10 seconds. It, you're not going to be able to. It's not going to happen. Mm. You can't deny the existence of sin and you can't deny the existence of what you have done in the past that is wrong and without Jesus Christ you can't find forgiveness for it. Which leads to the third way in the world that people deal with sin and that is they persecute themselves. Mm -hmm. And for some people that means they persecute themselves with substance abuse, with some religions, with many, most even religions of the world. They persecute themselves with you know, uh, some form of penance. Mm. Now I'm not talking about you know that does exist within Christianity, but you know you look at uh, you know so many of the world's religions. When you've done something wrong, you pay for it by doing something. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so, really, I would say that there are three ways that our world deals with with, with the guilt of sin. Mm. Number one, through Jesus Christ. Number two, through denying the existence of sin. And number three, through penance. And those last two, they won't do you a scrap of good. Yeah. You come away feeling just as bad as you did in the first place. That's right. Mm. All right, let's get back to our story. Where were we up to? Keep reading for us there, please, Lawson. In verse 7, we're up yeah, to. Yeah, this guy's his sins are forgiven. He's happy. He's, he can go home now. Yeah, but some of the teachers of religious law were sitting there and thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. So forgiving this guy's sins was not the Jesus, Jesus' motivation in his, motivation was first and foremost and primarily to heal this guy mm. and to deal with the issue that he was dealing with. But it wasn't his only motivation mm. because he forgives this guy's sins and there's a bunch of people there that get upset by that and they ask a very valid question. It's a question that if I was in the audience, I would have asked. Yeah, that's right. I would definitely be asking. Absolutely. Mm. All right. And what is that question? That well, that question is, you know, only God can forgive blasphemy. You know, and if I did not know that Jesus was God, and I'm thinking, okay, this guy's a great preacher, and he just forgave sins. Mm. You know, if I went, if I went to you know one of the local churches here in the Newcastle Hunter region, and a preacher stood up and forgave someone their sins, I would declare that as blasphemy. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. So. I think often we give the Pharisees and the scribes maybe a little bit too hard of a time here. We give them way too hard of a time. I I, I just want to I just want to put that out there. Way too. I hard. I, I okay, like on it. No 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 no. Not that what they're saying is good. Not that what they're saying is. Don't get me wrong. I don't. I'm not saying that what the Pharisees said were good. But I just see that all like pretty much all of us would be in this exact same position. So we're all Pharisees, is what you're saying? Like essentially, like if, <laughs> if we were hey, a part Lawson, go of there. their, if we're, go there. Go dude, there. I will. If we were a part of their religious group, yes. Like if you know, if if we like, you know, the Bible says knowledge makes proud, yes. and if you know, if we dedicated our life to learning the Bible, to you know, well, to, you know, the Old Testament and memorizing the whole thing, you know, we're in positions of status and and like we're well known. You know, it was only from what we can tell in the Bible. 
it was only two of the you know Pharisees' religious leaders who actually converted. The rest of them stood against Christ. Those two were Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Like Nicodemus being specifically a Pharisee, Joseph of Arimathea being a member of the Sanhedrin. Like if if it if I look at that right, if I look at that scenario and situation, I can see that only two of this entire group of people really gave heed to what Jesus was saying. Mm-hmm. I'm like, there is very much the chance that I would be in that group mm-hmm. of people who didn't follow mm-hmm. Jesus, of people who would be standing here accusing Jesus statistically. And I can look at the statistics of the world right now, you know, uh, as as a Christian. But there are, there are many Christians in the world. But still, like, I, you know, I consider myself a follower of Jesus. And I would say, oh, well, statistically right now, there are less, you know, followers of Jesus are in the minority, right? So it's like, oh, well, I've made that decision now. How do I know I wouldn't have made that decision back then? But, yeah, just statistically, statistically, like 100%, you know, we can't rule out the fact that our we are broken human beings and we could never rule out you know the reality that our pride would get to us and we would not you know follow jesus yes yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit sobering when you stop and think about it from that perspective mm. um and we need to remember to you know not be like the pharisees right here because the temptation is so easy particularly when you you know we're adventists and adventists and baptists have the highest biblical literacy of any uh, people groups amongst christians so yeah it, uh, it's something that we definitely need to be aware of. 100%. And we need to not let that pride get the better of us. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Means that we're about to launch straight into... Into... Question of the day. Bit of a delayed reaction there. But we got there. Still That's good. All right. all right. Question of the day. So... The wages of sin is death. Yes. It's the penalty of sin. But what about for little children? Yes. The wages of sin is death. Okay, okay so this is, a re- Sorry. this is a really interesting question right here that we need to delve into. And uh, this is one of those areas in which the Bible gives us some principles by which we can go and uh, we can understand that God is just mm. in all things. So let's look at some principles to begin with. Let's go to James chapter 4 and verse 17. James chapter 4 and verse 17. Uh, Where is this in my Bible? And we're going to read a passage here that talks about, that really does have direct relationship on children and particularly young children. So chapter 4 and verse 17, the Bible says here, Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Mm. Okay, so reverse that equation and let's say that you don't know that something is sinful and you do it or you've been doing it your entire life. Does God hold you accountable for that? No, he does not. This is one of the reasons why in the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 4 you're going to find that there is a sacrifice that God provided for sins of ignorance. Because God gets the fact that we don't know everything and that when we learn new things, we can grow in our relationship with God and grow in our obedience to God. And so then if we take that and apply that to children, okay, my granddaughter is three weeks old. How much does she understand about sin? How much does she understand about, uh, you know, 
How much does she know what is good and is not doing it and is therefore sinning? Probably very little, if anything at all. But as human beings, we grow in that. And as human beings, not only do we grow in that, but we also have the grow have the opportunity to grow in our understanding of God. And so, you know, my little granddaughter right now, uh, I've been there when they've been having family worship with her and they read her a Bible story and she enjoys the sound of her father's words. Mm. That's all. It's just the sound of her father's words. She can hear her father talking and she likes that. She's not, she's not learning anything from the story, but over time she's not going to, as they continue to have that practice, you know, her knowledge of the Bible is just going to blend seamlessly. She's not ever going to remember any time when she did not know about Jesus Christ. Yeah, wow. Okay, so that's a great thing, and, and she's going to grow in her knowledge. As she grows in her knowledge, she will grow in her accountability. Now then, what about the next-door neighbour? I mean, I don't know the next-door neighbour. Let's say that somebody down the street has has, has a, uh, a three-week-old baby, and let's say that as that baby grows, they never learn anything about God. Mm. Their level of accountability will be less because uh, the Bible says if you know it's wrong. And if they don't know it's wrong, then you don't know it's wrong. It says it in another way if we go over to Acts chapter 17. Uh, let's flick over there very quickly. Acts chapter 17... Acts 17 and verse 30. The Bible says, But the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. And so essentially what the Bible is saying is that God turns a blind eye to those things that we do not know. And a young child or a baby knows a whole lot less than we do. That's why we have a thing called school. Mm. That's why we have a thing called parents. And so... uh, we all grow and we never stop growing in our understanding of obedience and God holds us accountable at the level that we're at. Our understanding of obedience, our understanding of righteousness. Now, of course, there does come a point at which God calls to every person's heart. He gives every person that opportunity and then it's up to that person you know, to make a decision for or against God. And, this, and now I'm specifically talking about people who do not know God and do not ever have that opportunity to know God. God calls to everyone at some particular point, and we have that opportunity to respond. One more verse uh, that we're going to look at in Psalms 87 and verse 6. The Bible says the Lord will count when he writes up the people. In other words, he's writing up, you know, he's judging, when he's judging the people, that this man was born there. In other words, God takes into account where people are born. He takes into account the circumstances under which they are born and therefore the knowledge that is available to them and how they respond to the knowledge that is available to them as to what is right and wrong. We know that above everything else, we serve a God who is fair and who is just and will judge everybody differently but by the same standard Mm. thanks for being a part of the faith fm family join our community on facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM